26th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Town Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I am a graduate of that program, not a student. And if you don't know me, I have a long history covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys. I will, before this project is done officially in February, do a podcast dedicated to my crazy Proud Boys story. It involves um, plainclothes detectives coming to my tiny apartment, uh, a person affiliated with the Proud Boys trying to get me arrested and having me harassed by a state trooper for two and a half months. Um, It involves just raw cat food. I was making raw cat food at the time. It's an absolutely crazy story. And I've told it before, but I think it'd be fun to do it as a podcast on my own channel. Uh, But I just haven't done it because this gig is like being on a treadmill, running at full face, uh, full force, and still not being able to keep up. Um, So let me just explain this project a little bit to anybody who's new. And I suspect I have a lot of new listeners because of my recent appearance with the Lincoln Project. So here we go. Decoding Fox News was designed to help the friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, and colleagues of people who are already deeply entrenched in the Fox News universe. Think of this as a support network of sorts to help you navigate the nonsense that your Fox-loving friends might spew at you. Throughout this podcast, I will refer to something called the newsletter. The newsletter is the written version of this podcast that can be found on my Substack channel. It's basically the exact same headline. It just is right underneath the podcast. Now, my grant ends in about a month, and the grant was through a university, and that's basically paid my living expenses. It was a very humble grant. I'm certainly not living high on the hog over here. I kind of eke out a living every single month. Um, I did add paid subscribers to my Substack, and I'm going to be offering some stuff that I pick up from Fox Nation, which is Fox News streaming service. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try to have something for just the subscribers like once a week, and it'll it'll probably be pulled from Fox Nation because that's a a separate service than regular Fox News. Um, I purposely kept the rate as low as possible. I picked the lowest amount that I could could pick for paid subscribers, which is $5 a month, which is also the lowest on my Patreon. Um, if you'd like to support this project, that's great. If you can't, I totally understand. No worries. If you can't afford to support the project and you want to support it in your own way, tell a friend, encourage them to listen. That would encourage them to read. That's just as good almost in many ways than subscribing. Just to increase that audience would be wonderful. Um, and I totally understand. I can't really afford much either. I, I pay for New York Times, uh, Washington Post, and The Atlantic. That's it. And boy, I wish I could pay for more. I really do. I feel bad all the time that I can't support more media. But um, yeah, so that's it. And I hate to, to, to be that way. I'm a blue-collar person. I don't like begging for money. Uh, but this is a service, and I'm providing it to you. And when I lose my funding, I will lose my income. And I don't quite have enough yet to keep going, but we'll see what happens. I was self-employed for 18 years before I went to grad school. So I'm used to kind of living right off the edge of a cliff. 
because anybody who's self-employed who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. <laughs> a lot of it's just waiting for people to pay you when you're self-employed. Just could you please, here's another invoice. Could you please pay me for the work I did four months ago? Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, again, that's like an inside joke to the self-employed people listening to this podcast. So let's just get into it. Here we go. Here's the headline. Fox News, but his documents. A condensed overview of 15 hours of Fox News for the week ending January 15th, 2023. A typical Fox News viewer might think that the Democratic Party secretly planted classified documents in an attempt to destroy President Biden's chances of running for re-election. The same viewer might also think that government officials will break down their doors and rip out gas stoves from freedom-loving American homes. Anyone who exclusively watched Fox News wouldn't know that a six-year-old boy took a gun to school and intentionally shot his teacher. A diehard Fox fan might have missed that Alan Weisselberg, the former CFO of the Trump Organization, was sentenced to five months in prison for his role in a decade-long tax fraud scheme at the company. A Fox viewer wouldn't know that a grand jury in Georgia completed its investigation into possible criminal behavior by former President Donald J. Trump and his associates in any attempts to change the outcome in the 2020 presidential election. Fox News anchors also repeatedly got basic facts wrong, blurted out inaccurate poll results, while continually demonizing undocumented immigrants and unhomed people. They had several segments on homeless people last week that were all just depressing and awful. The network's biggest focus last week was the classified documents found at Biden's garage, an academic think tank, and his home in Delaware. Suddenly, Fox News seemed concerned with the handling of classified documents, even though they, the network had a vastly different tone in August when Trump's public club was searched by the FBI after he refused to comply with a subpoena. Shows I covered last week were Fox and Friends, The First Hour, The Five, and Tucker Carlson Tonight. Let's just get into it, but his documents. All three shows I analyzed last week aggressively pushed segments about Biden's mishandling of classified documents. Pretty much, although not 100%, every single program last week opened with this story. And would go on for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It was, this was very, very heavy this week. The hyperbole was thick. Fox hosts kept trying to equate the classified document scandal at Trump's resort with Biden. There are similarities, of course, but Fox neglected to point out to its audience the many differences. So before I get into this, I will openly admit I sourced this from the New York Times. I basically broke up their article, rewrote it, and stuck it back together. Um, I rewrote it enough. Trust me, I rewrote it enough. And there's a ton of hyperlinks that take you to the article if you want to read how they did it. So I just thought it was a great resource. I looked a bunch of different articles up and the New York Times article was just, they just framed it the easiest way to explain it. So both cases, um, so how, how the two cases are similar. Both cases involve the mishandling of classified documents that were moved after Trump and Biden left office. Under the Presidential Records Act, White House records are supposed to be returned to the National Archives and Records Administration at the end of the administration. The Department of Justice has begun investigations into both 
the former and current president. So Jack Smith was appointed a special counsel to look into former President Trump's mishandling of documents in addition to his role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And Robert Hur, a Trump-appointed attorney, was assigned as special counsel to investigate President Biden's mishandling of classified documents. So now, the reason why I include all that, even though it might be obvious, especially to my listeners who are very tuned in to the news, is it's great evidence to show anybody at Fox who says, oh, Biden's being treated differently. Actually, he's not. <laughs> they're, they're giving him a special counsel immediately. Now, we'll get into the differences in this next section. Now, how these two cases are different in the case of Trump. This will explain why, because this is something that got repeated a lot on Fox last week, the FBI wasn't banging down any doors. This pretty much spells it out. So the National Archives discovered in the spring of 2021 that some historically prominent files were missing. They then asked Trump to return what they suspected he'd taken. Trump returned 15 boxes of documents with classified markings. The Justice Department then issued a subpoena, and Trump returned more. Agents at the Justice Department suspected Trump was still withholding documents based on a source at Mar-a-Lago and other evidence. Trump's team stalled by not responding to the National Archive's request for months, while also falsely claiming they had fully cooperated with with a subpoena. A court filing also suggests that security camera footage showed that government records were likely concealed and removed from the storage room at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort after the subpoena was sent. I have a hyperlink directly to that source. Trump had several hundred documents with classified markings. In some cases, Documents were stored in a locked closet, but the FBI also found documents in Trump's office, including his desk, which that's very famous. He had it in the top drawer of his desk. Trump has publicly criticized the National Archives and has framed the investigation as illegitimate. A federal judge is considering holding his team in contempt for defying the subpoena. Trump and his team might have also destroyed official documents. Former aides have said he tore up files while in office. And a letter from the National Archives indicated that some of the files that got back to them had been mutilated. Now, in the case of Biden, Biden's attorney immediately informed the National Archives when searched Biden's properties and the other locations where files from his vice presidential office might have been shipped in the course of the 2017 transition. Only a small amount of documents with classified markings were found. Biden did not defy a subpoena or destroy documents. Biden and his staffs did not attempt to hide documents or move them to another location. Now, this one gets brought up a lot, and this is very important. President versus vice president. Now, on Fox, they say, and I've heard this oh, probably a dozen times last week, that they claim that because President Biden was vice president at the time, he had no right to these documents and he should be treated like any other citizen. That is not true. I have a hyperlink to this in the, in the newsletter. Simply put, the executive order governing the classified information system gives vice presidents the same power to declassify secrets as presidents wield. So far, Biden has not claimed he declassified the d- discovered documents. Biden doesn't even know what the documents are, apparently. 
Now, this this next media clip that I'm going to play for you is a mashup of all three shows that I covered last week, all 15 hours. And again, this topic was very heavy on every single show. So I had to go through every single show and cut it up and make this montage. You're going to hear a bunch of voices. If I stop it at every new voice, it will get totally distracting. So just very quickly, it's Judge Pirro, Dana Perino, Greg Gutfeld, Jesse Waters, Tucker Carlson, Steve Ducey, uh, Kilmeade, and uh, Ashley Earnhardt are the main voices that you're going to hear. Um, I'm just going to play it. You'll get an idea of of the repetition. I put this together to show how Fox News uses repetition of the same exact phrasing over and over again to really drive the point home, like messaging, almost like marketing, into their viewers' heads. So when you hear one of your relatives go off on the scandal, and I fear that this is going to be, unfortunately, a big part of our lives for months until it's resolved, this is what you're going to hear. Merrick Garland will unleash one of his signature pre-dawn raids on the University of Pennsylvania at any moment. Where is the FBI? There should be battering rams knocking down his door. How come the FBI, the moment they heard about this, wasn't down there doing a raid? Isn't it time for them to go in, you know, guns a-blazing into the House and find out what Joe Biden's got? We're waiting tonight for the DOJ police raid on Joe Biden's house. They didn't dispatch the FBI to raid Biden's home in Rehoboth and root through Dr. Jill's underwear drawer. In offices, the other one gets an FBI raid after... Yeah, the battering ram was in for repairs, so they couldn't really yeah, yeah, take down go. the door, and no one could figure out how to open the garage. It was locked. Uh, Greg, thanks so much. A skiff. Were they the nuclear codes? Were prob- I wonder if the janitors at the Biden Center were Chinese operatives. I'll- Do we know that there aren't nuclear secrets in there? Perhaps he exchanged nuclear secrets... To China for the 10 percent. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, maybe Obama's trying to set Joe up so he <laughs> takes the fall and Newsom goes in, but it's not a skiff. Congressman Ronnie Johnson, Johnson says, what a double standard. Oh, the problem that America has with us is it's such a double standard. It's really None more of, of the double standard. There is not a skiff. Also, why isn't the media mad about the timing? Because apparently this was known before the midterm elections. elections but- I know. So the Department of Justice knew on November 4th that Joe Biden had committed crimes. November 4th was four days before a pivotal midterm election. So- Keep in mind, it was revealed to the administration and to law enforcement that he had them a week before the midterm elections. Now, don't you think that this would have been a big story the week before the midterm elections? Is the room called the secret room, the skiff? Is skiff. that right? Where they yep. can go through. And- you often have a skiff or a secure facility at your home. Uh, you know, it has to be in what's known as a skiff, as you know. We imagine that's inside the house could be that skiff. Well, this is a dumpster fire for sure. That last voice is not really a Fox personality, and you heard him throughout going, it's a skiff. That's Richard Painter. He's a former Senate candidate. He's kind of an eccentric character. Um, he's been around for a while. But uh, he had him... Tucker had him on because he'd made a video, he made an ad a few years ago where he said, that's a dumpster fire. And, and Tucker was like, can you come on and talk about dumpster fires? It was a very bizarre segment. And all of the times you heard him say, it's a skiff. Those were completely unique. I didn't repeat any of them. He just kept saying that term and it just kept making me giggle. So that's why I cut it up and stuck it throughout the whole thing. Anyway, if you're new to the podcast, I kind of do impressions which is something that kind of started accidentally 
And uh, my regulars were like, keep doing that. They thought there was it was funny, so it became like a thing. And I do have a radio play on my Substack if you want to hear it called It's a Carrie Lake Christmas because Carrie Lake is my favorite person to imitate because she's incredibly manufactured her voice and I just get a kick out of how insane she is. I still do. I follow a... There's an account on Twitter that I follow just purely for amusement that's called like the Carrie Lake War Room and it's deadly serious but it reads like a joke. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's right on that cusp of, like, is this a joke or is this real? No, this is real. Where she's like, I'm fighting for you and the children of Arizona and future generations of Americans who will one day say to themselves, whatever happened to Carrie Lake? She fought for us. She did. I'm sorry. I'm just going on a tangent. But, yeah. Check out that Carrie Lake War Room uh, Twitter handle. It's hilarious. It's not meant to be funny. It's meant to be deadly serious, but I can't. I can't. So this next clip is just a simple one that completely blew up last week on Twitter. I was shocked by how well this performed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But it, it was like 160,000 views on Twitter. Judge Janine uh, being classic Judge Janine. That's my Judge Janine voice. Listen here. Here's the thing. If you don't shut up, I'm going to throw a pen. Okay, so um, she blurted out the statistic, and I just went, what are you talking about? So I immediately clipped it and went, yeah, that can't be true. There's no way that's true. And then I immediately, the, the clip explains it. You're going to hear my voice in this as well. The presidential, they weren't even administration, the presidential election, they shut down the Hunter Biden laptop, okay? They didn't want anyone to know about it, and something like 52% of Americans voted said it would have changed their votes in a very close election. Now we've got them doing the same thing before a midterm. Now, the rest of my tweet was actually my voice, and I sort of break it down. But since this is a podcast, I'm just going to go ahead and do this, like, off the cuff. So here we go. So basically what Judge Janine said is she says the presidential election, they shut down the Hunter Biden laptop. They didn't want anyone to know about it. And something like 52 percent of Americans voted said it would have changed their votes in a very close election. Okay, so then she mentions the midterms. And I said, hey, judge. And they they constantly do this on Fox. They constantly talk about the midterms in terms of Biden. Biden wasn't running in the midterm elections. And believe it or not, people will still vote for a senator or a congressperson, regardless of who's president. I, call me crazy, but that's what they do. Now, I, when I went to look for this stat, because I knew it was wrong, I knew there was no way 52% of Americans said their vote somehow hinged on the Hunter Biden laptop story. There's just no way. <laughs> um, I googled 52% Hunter Biden election I think I put Biden changed vote. I tried a couple of different methods and I, I got an article that said majority of Americans think Hunter Biden's story was ignored by media. And the quote from the article was from Newsweek from December 2020 was a Rasmutin reports telephone and online survey found that 52 percent of, of likely U.S. voters think news organizations ignored the story in order to help Joe Biden's campaign. Well, that's a very different answer than saying they would have switched their votes. 
Uh, plenty of people have opinions about how the media treats a story. Doesn't mean they're going to change their vote to Trump. So that kind of made me laugh. And then it reminded me of a poll I did an entire podcast on where I, I, I did this thing called In Search of a Poll because Fox News kept commenting on a similar poll where they kept saying one in six voters, one in six Biden voters would have changed their vote had they known more about Hunter Biden's story. And throughout the entire week, this poll, this magical, mythical poll, kept getting cited, and nobody would say where it was from. And I was like, why won't they say where that poll's from? And uh, they had some people on from The Federalist who also cited the poll, and I went to the Federalist website and found a bunch of hyperlinks that went to other Federalist articles. I did not find the poll. They kept mentioning the poll. Nobody would say where they got the poll from. Nobody would hyperlink to the poll. This took a lot of work on my part. It took a couple hours. It was going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. I finally found the source of the poll. And it was from a group called thenewsbusters.org, which is funded by Media Research Center. So there's a great website called Influence Watch, where you can look up any organization and figure out where they get their funding from. If it's a non-for-profit, you can find, you can open it up like a tin can. Any non-for-profit, you can see salaries, you can see who gives them money, you can see where they spend their money. You can literally find as much as they can put on a tax return. Uh, Not-for-profits are available to the public. You, anybody, you don't need to be trained in it. You just need to know how to look for it. But Influence Watch makes it easier and that they don't make you look through the whole tax return. They just basically include it on their site. And they indicated that Media Research Center gets a lot of their funding from right-wing conservative foundations, including the Mercer Family Foundation, the same group that has backed Milo Yiannopoulos, who's probably best known for defending pedophilia and hanging out with um, the absolute like worst of the alt-right. Uh, the Mercer Family Foundation also funded Breitbart News, an ultra-far-right-wing media company that is associated with Steve Bannon. So you can take that poll for worth what that's worth. And again, as I've talked about before in this podcast, polling can be manipulated quite easily. I always use this example. This is why you have to go, you have to be very careful about what poll. You always ask, what, what poll? Where did you get the poll from? Uh, go, there's some reputable, like Pew Research Center is very reputable. Axios is very reputable. But you have to find a, a decent source. You can't just say, oh, I have a poll. Because here's a great example. I always use this one. Now, if I was going to call a thousand people and I said to them, would you like reliable, low-cost health insurance available to you? Um, is that something that you seek? Most people would say yes, right? If I said the same thing and I said, hi, would you like a government overreach that removed private health insurance and took that choice away from you, uh, would you be for that? A lot of people would say no. Some people would say yes. That's depending on what I'm trying, what kind of results I'm trying to get from this poll, that could be the exact same question. That could be a version of Medicaid, Medicaid for all. I'm not dissing Medicaid for all. I'm just saying that there's a way to twist that program where you can make it sound wonderful or you can make it sound horrible. Same exact program. It's just all how you talk about it. So how you ask the question can influence the answer in a poll very, very easily. 
And that's what pollsters do, like nefarious pollsters, shady pollsters, people from very highly biased companies. That's how they do it. So I, that poll is worth kind of garbage. And that's why Fox wasn't mentioning where they got it from, because they know people like me could look it up in two seconds. And because they didn't mention where they got it from, it took me like two hours to find that. Um, so anyway, the next section, this was pretty humorous. A lot of people were joking on this is they are coming for your gas stove. So last week, Commissioner Richard L. Trumpka Jr., Democratic member of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, told Bloomberg News gas stoves could potentially be banned due to their health hazards. And this has to do with, like, emissions that gas stoves let out. So no one had written or passed a law banning gas stoves. There was no government directive to remove gas stoves. The comment was a suggestion, nothing more. Fox News responded by completely freaking out. Now, this is, again, another montage of clips from all three shows that I covered last uh, week that I just stuck together because I thought it was funny. So this is the gas stove meltdown. So with that in mind, the Biden administration is considering a ban on gas stoves in the name of climate, but really it's for your own good. If America puts up with this, probably put up with anything. You want to come into my kitchen? And what are you going to do now? Are you going to, like, b- knock the doors down to see if I really have a gas stove? And by the way... Could the Biden administration be coming for your gas stove? The answer is yes. And politicians have been telling us for a long time, because of climate, you're not allowed to have a gas stove. This is about getting rid of natural gas. Follow the money, Harold. What that comment was. Absolutely. I'm a cook. Nobody's going to tell me I can't cook with gas. First of all, any good cook cooks with gas. It's an immediate up, down, low, high, uh, you know, and I. Safety? (laughs) We've had these stoves for over 100 years. It's totally fine to give fentanyl to addicts, but a gas stove is a threat to your life. To use a natural gas stove in your home because of emissions, but they're not concerned about smoking meth? Like at some point. For now, the talk is focused on banning gas stoves, but it won't be long before they also come for gas fireplaces. And I mean, you know, you have to consider that it's part of a broader movement that thinks that Western civilization is a terrible thing, that yeah. we're founded on slavery and genocide. And so maybe when they start to do things that undermine civilization, there's a connection there. Now, that last clip might sound like I just stuck it on there as a joke and it has nothing to do with gas stoves. That would be incorrect. What happened there is Michael Schellenberger, that's the voice that you just heard, talking about like the end of civilization, is in there because Tucker Carlson had him on to talk about drug legalization or decriminalization, however you want to frame that. But they were talking about that, but Tucker had weaved in this whole gas stove narrative in addition to the drug decriminalization and that's what came out of it. So they were talking kind of about both topics. And Michael Schellenberger said that. And I just was like, what? Are you okay? Um, Michael Schellenberger is somebody who used to be a liberal and was like a big lefty liberal, hippy dippy kind of guy. And then at some point pivoted, decided he was a climate change denialist and shifted his entire career. And they have him on... Uh, Fox all the time. He was part of the Twitter files with Elon Musk. He's like a journalist in quotes. Um, Amusing. I just thought that was very funny. Just like we're going all the way to the end of civilization because somebody might not put a gas stove in a new apartment eventually at some point. 
That's all that is, but okay. This next section is uh, Tucker misleads his audience about political unrest in Brazil. Tucker Carlson has been an avid supporter of the former president of Brazil. Um, I always have problems pronouncing his first name. Jair Bolsonaro. Carlson has repeatedly claimed the last presidential election was stolen despite having no evidence of fraud. Now, I included a link to the Carter Center. Independent election monitors have also refuted Bolsonaro's claims of fraud. Here's their quote from the Carter Center, and they were down there monitoring this. At the invitation of the Superior Electoral Tribunal, known in Portuguese as TSE, the center's expert team was on hand for both the first round of the presidential election and the runoff that concluded Sunday, October 30th. The electoral officials announced results less than three hours after the polls closed. After all votes were tallied, former President uh, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva won by a margin of 1.8% or over 2 million votes more than President Jair uh, Bolsonaro. So, again, this is not my opinion. This is independent experts who went down there and monitored the entire election. Bolsonaro spoke of for months that the election was going to be stolen out from under him. He was basically laying track for what has come now. Now, what happened, uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday previous, is there was a January 6th style attempted insurrection by Bolsonaro supporters. It was an absolute just nightmare. Um, some people were hurt. Some people died. There's a lot of damage to the Capitol. Meanwhile, Bolsonaro is in a hospital in Florida, like having like kind of who knows what was going on with him he was not seriously ill but he was in a hospital in florida basically being dramatic I, that's what i that's what it looked like from from my end tucker carlson had an independent journalist on matthew termand uh to discuss the recent attempt by bolsonaro's supporters to overturn the election results here's the clip now it turns out as the plot usually does thicken in these situations that there were many an agent provocateur yesterday at these buildings and doing incredible gross damage, breaking windows and such. And it looks like this is turning into a Reichstag fire and being used to clamp down on these democratic protests. The protests are no more. The camps have been disbanded by executive and judicial mandate and fiat. And now they've set up a concentration camp where 1,200 Brazilian citizens are locked in the gymnasium and grounds of the Federal Police Training Center in Brasilia. And it has just been reported that two of them have died. There is no water, no food, no bathrooms. Brazilian countrymen of this government are being treated in worse circumstances than the Geneva Convention allows for foreign combatants. It is absolutely gross and even more gross, as we just found out, according to a high-ranking influential senator, Marcus Doval, released documents that prove the justice minister, Flavio Dino, knew about it the day before, that there would be violence potentially and even the setup for violence and Lula knew as well they did not cordon off the buildings it looks like there are even more similarities with our own I'm recognizing the template here and and but just to zero it out so the country's becoming a dictatorship and the State Department and all the celebrities Mark Ruffalo and the rest who supported this criminal Lula are saying nothing and they're continuing to support it as he eliminates civil liberties that is absolutely correct. There is nothing but frame it as Bannon, Trump, Bolsonaro plotted a coup from Florida, which there is no facts that back that up even remotely. 
So basically, I rolled my eyes so hard when he said that because it was basically the same way the right wing tried to twist January 6th when it was happening. They tried to say that those protesters were actually Antifa protesters dressed up as pretending to be Trump supporters and that it was all fake designed to make Trump and his supporters look bad. And the Reichstag, of course, is the historical reference to what happened pre-Nazi Germany, where the German parliament building was burned to the ground and the communists were blamed for it. The communists were the number one competitor to the Nazis at the time for power, and the Nazis seized power right after that and took over Germany about a month later. Uh, Communist and socialist kind of lumped into one group at that time. Uh, So... Yeah, I just shook my head. I was like, this is absolute nonsense. So you, Because he was basically talking two sides out of his mouth. He was basically saying these poor Bolsonaro supporters who are now jailed and they weren't really the ones wrecking the place. That was fake Bolsonaro supporters. Like, okay, buddy, tell yourself that. Now, the next media clip that I have for last week was, uh, and I just want to add very very quickly. What's scary about that is when you search Twitter, you will find Brazilians reposting Tucker Carlson all the time as, look, Americans agree with us. Bolsonaro won. Bolsonaro won. Look, it's an American and he agrees with us and he's very popular in America and it's Tucker Carlson. Now, the next section, the next media clip that I want to show you is uh, this is an edit I did of a longer monologue because I noticed this quality about him, and once I heard it, I couldn't unhear it. And it's basically Tucker Carlson speaking to his audience as if they are toddlers. And somebody said, a follower said, this reminds me of Green Eggs and Ham. And I said, that's exactly what it reminded me of. And once I heard this, I couldn't unhear it. And now I hear it every single time he does this. And if you listen, it's not just the tone of his voice and the way he goes, when I'm speaking to you, I go up. Do I go up? I go up. And then I go down. Picture Goldilocks and the Three Bears when you hear this monologue, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, I did take out a lot of the fat. I'm just showing you when he does this. It's a much longer monologue. But I'm telling you, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. So just picture like, and then Goldilocks tried one bowl of porridge, and it was too hot. And then Goldilocks tried the next bowl of porridge, and it was too cold. Why was it cold? It was left out too long. And then Goldilocks tried the third bowl of porridge. And it was just right. Just right for Goldilocks. That's how he's reading this. It freaked me out. The stories that matter. Probably not. And if you doubt that's true, ask your neighbors who's winning the war in Ukraine. And of course, they'll tell you that Ukraine is winning. Duh. Ukraine is winning, says Michael McFall of Stanford University. Ukraine is winning, says Hillary Clinton. Ukraine is winning, proclaimed the entire American media establishment, because the media would never say that, ever. Wait, what? Indeed, it is the opposite. Shouldn't we have known this, these facts, before Mitch McConnell signed off in yet another multi-billion dollar aid package to Zelensky and his wife? Yep, we should have known, but there was no way to know. Because the media wouldn't tell us. Did you know that? You probably didn't because our media never mention it. So that's Mexico. And why wouldn't it? There's no border left. Shouldn't Americans know that? Yes, they should. Did you know that? Did you have any idea? You probably didn't. Shouldn't you know that? No, I do not think that he does that accidentally. I think that is 100% intentional. 
um, because he's basically telling a story and he's doing it in a very heavy handed way. It's ultimately communication is storytelling and it can be tricky with news because news can be kind of boring, but he's doing a very heavy handed um, storytelling. He's spoon feeding it and he's doing it in a, in a childlike way because it's that whole idea of like, where did the missile go? Why would a missile go there? I know a missile. It went into Ukraine and it killed people. I mean, that's dark, but that's kind of what he's doing. And it's, it's, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. So it, I, I would love to get a psychologist on here and go, what the heck is that? Please explain that to me. Cause I don't, I don't get it. I wouldn't respond to that. I just find it creepy as hell, but Hey, you know, his audience obviously loves it. Next up, we have uh, this week, very briefly, because I'm running out of time, the Bogus Expert of the Week. And if you're, again, new to the podcast, I do a goofy voice when I do Bogus Expert of the Week. I am from the Midwest, so I am making fun of myself before anybody gets angry with me for mocking a Midwestern accent. I'm making fun of myself. Here we go. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a bogus expert. A bogus expert is somebody who talks about something they don't actually know anything about. You know, because they're phony, they're fake, they're bogus, and they're not really an expert. And this week, we got a guy named Alex Berninson. Now, Alex Berninson is the champion of this title because he's won it more times than anybody. He's the one that, when I wrote my my thesis, a.k.a. uh, Capstone, he was the bogus expert. Alex Berninson is trained as a, he has a BA in economics and history from Yale, He is a novelist and an award-winning journalist who once worked for the New York Times. In 2019, he wrote a book about marijuana and the effects of the drug on people, and he claimed that it caused psychosis and violence. He was criticized for this, but he doubled down. In 2020, despite having any medical or scientific training, he became what he thought was he's an expert on COVID-19. And he wrote so much about it, he got kicked off of Twitter for spreading misinformation He sued Twitter, which is kind of folly because nobody wins those lawsuits. And then, of course, probably to avoid the lawsuit, he was reinstated on Twitter. And then Elon Musk threw him a bone to work on the Twitter files. And this is his quote from his work on the Twitter files. And I found this highly amusing. You might as well. As for the Twitter files, what what we know now it basically about COVID is, is what I reported and what a couple people reported last month. The files, it's, it's a mistake to think of them as some huge data dump that we can all go through. It's an iterative process where we're questioning Twitter about what's in there and they're coming back to us with answers. I found that quite humorous because he's basically explaining cherry picking in a very pretentious and fancy way. Cherry picking is when you go, here's my conclusion. Now I'm going to pick evidence that supports my conclusion and only that evidence. I'm going to ignore everything else. It's the opposite of journalism. Journalism, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to say, I think this might be what's going on. Then you look for evidence and, and sometimes that evidence does not lead to your, your hypothesis and you have to change. With cherry picking, you say, this is what I want to prove. And then you omit everything else that doesn't support your hypothesis. It's complete opposite. It's garbage. So uh, next up, we have stories that Fox News ignored. This one takes a minute. So this is stories that Fox News ignored. Every week I compare 15 hours of Fox News to five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following are stories that PBS included that Fox 
did not. Some of these were mentioned in the lead. Here we go. A six-year-old student intentionally shot and injured his teacher at an elementary school in Virginia. The teacher, Abigail Zwerner, 25, escorted the other children out of the classroom before seeking help for her injuries. She survived. Absolutely horrific story. The shows that I covered on Fox last week did not mention that at all. You can find it online. Fox Print mentioned it, but they did not mention it on the shows that I covered. Alan Weisselberg, former President Donald J. Trump's longtime chief financial officer, was sentenced by a New York judge for five months in jail for his role in the tax fraud scheme. His sentence is part of a plea deal where he testified against the Trump organization, pleaded guilty to 15 felonies, and agreed to pay back $2 million in back taxes, fees, and penalties. The Trump organization and its subsidiaries were found guilty in 17 charges, including tax fraud, falsifying business records, and conspiracy. The company was hit with a $1.6 million fine, the maximum under state law. A special grand jury in Georgia completed its investigation into whether or not President Donald J. Trump and his allies committed any crimes in their attempt to change the outcome of the 2020 election in that state. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis will now decide whether to seek a criminal indictment from a regular grand jury. The SCOTUS ruled last week that New York State can keep some of its restrictions on guns in sensitive areas for now. This would include schools, government buildings, legislative assemblies, polling places, and courthouses. Last summer, New York State's restrictive gun laws were weakened by a six-justice majority. The new law is currently facing challenges in a federal appellate court. A strike that involved 7,000 nurses at two private New York City hospitals ended on Thursday after the union and management reached a tentative agreement. The nurses were on the picket line for three days. Jurors heard the start of the seditious conspiracy trial against members of the hate group known as the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys were one of the largest organized groups involved in the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. PBS featured a series of segments on Mark Frias, a 60-year-old contractor who was taken hostage in Afghanistan and released after 32 months in decrepit conditions. The segments included his time in captivity, the process to get him released, and his time readjusting in Lombard, Illinois. Cancer deaths in the U.S. have dropped 33% in the last three decades, thanks in part due to increased vaccinations for HPV. Cervical cancer rates dropped 65% for women in their early 20s, but advanced prostate cancer diagnosis have risen roughly 4.5% annually since 2011. PBS also had a segment that included Dr. Celine Grounder of the NYU Grossman School of Medicine, where the doctor pushed back on many of the misconceptions and conspiracy theories that continue to circulate about COVID-19 and the vaccine against the disease. The CDC issued an advisory about an upsurge in cases of strep throat in children. President Biden and Prime Minister Fumo Kishida of Japan vowed to strengthen the existing U.S.-Japanese alliance as a means to blunt China, North Korea, and Russia's increasing tensions towards their neighbors in the region. Japan indicted the man suspected of killing former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. South Korea sought criminal charges over a Seoul Halloween crowd crush that killed 158. So far, six people have been arrested for the role in the disaster. Kenan Anderson, cousin of Black Lives Matter co-founder, 
died early this month, hours after LAPD officers repeatedly shocked him with a taser. Relatives and supporters said Anderson was experiencing a mental health crisis and flagged the officers down for help. In body cam video of his arrest, Anderson, during his struggle with police, manages to say, they're trying to George Floyd me, as officers roll him over on his stomach. Anderson died of cardiac arrest. He was only 31 years old and a father. Charles Simic, a former poet laureate of the United States, MacArthur genius, professor, and Pulitzer Prize winner, died last week at the age of 84. Rock guitarist Jeff Beck died at the age of 78 of bacterial meningitis. Iran sentenced three more prisoners to death for their involvement in anti-government protests that started in mid-September. So far, the government has executed four men for the roles in the protests. According to human rights groups, at least 517 protesters have been killed and over 19,200 people have been arrested. The U.S. Department of Education proposed regulation last week that would reduce the monthly payments for some federal student loan borrowers. The announcement comes as President Biden's original debt forgiveness plan remains in limbo. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments on the policy at the end of February. Several countries and international institutions have pledged more than $9 billion in aid to help Pakistan recover from catastrophic floods, which most climate scientists and experts have blamed on climate change. Lawmakers in Ohio elected a Speaker of the House after a long and drawn-out battle between both parties. In Pennsylvania, state reps could only agree upon a Speaker after a Democrat was nominated, only after agreeing to change his party affiliation to independent. Both were very dramatic races. Fox News did include one story that PBS NewsHour did not cover. Fox has been including short segments on Fox and Friends about the disappearance of a Massachusetts mother of three, Anna Walsh, 39, who's been missing for 12 days. Her husband, Brian Walsh, 47, remains behind bars for allegedly misleading law enforcement investigating his wife's disappearance. So this podcast is going a little long by the numbers. Basically, the number one story last week on Fox was the Biden classified documents, which took up 25 percent of airtime. It just dominated everything. And for PBS NewsHour, the number one story was only 8 percent of their airtime, and it was Brazil insurrection. And uh, Biden classified documents in comparison with 7% of PBS NewsHour's airtime. Words used on Fox last week were Biden dominated everything at 407, classified was 152, Trump 129. Um, Another one that was kind of telling was China 53 times because they're trying to weave China into the document situation, which is weird, but that's what they're doing. Uh, Mar-a-Lago was mentioned 35 times, gas stove 32 times. AOC made the list again, as she almost always does, at five times, battering ram three times. And because we have a severe spike in egg prices, due mostly due to an avian flu that's been going on since March, that's a bird flu that's been causing all kinds of havoc for the poultry industry, Eggs were mentioned nine times. So, so many people seem to be confused on the uh, egg prices. It's mostly the avian flu, which is one of the worst cases we've ever had in this country. It's 100% U.S. You can't blame another country. It's just a freak of nature that we've had, happened to have this terrible, terrible season. So coming up, I'll be covering Fox and Friends, The Five, and Hannity. Thank you so much for listening. Please support this project if you can at my Patreon 
There's also a little dollar sign next to my name that you can see on some platforms on Twitter, some platforms you can't see it. That would go directly to a payment uh, processor. And I also have now paid subscribers. If you'd like to become a paid subscriber, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, again, the podcast mascots of Odin and Thor, my cats, send their love. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you at the next podcast.